And so when you are telling to someone the color of A, people generally do not know what you are talking about. Welcome back to Not Daily Podcast. This is a conversational episode where we informally discuss our current lives and engage with our listeners, with you actually. And uh, it's going to be a special one because last episode we had a guest, yes. uh, Geraldine, and we had a lot of interesting conversation with her that didn't make it to the main episode. So we will reuse them here <laughs> to uh, heighten the conversation. Usually in those episodes, we talked a little bit about something that happened in our lives, but we're going to leave the floor to Geraldine because she's going to tell us about her experience with synesthesia, which is very interesting. I have something to add. Okay. Good. Which is that I'm very happy for you, Vlad, that you gain some ability but i have to say that i lost some what do you mean lost some um because and and so i have to talk a little bit about synesthesia <laughs> because when i was a child i had colors for all my letters and numbers and now i have for some of the letters of the alphabets but not all so i lost some vi visualization powers that sucks It's a good cautionary tale. I'm... So you gain something, but you might lose it. Be careful. So we do not have time to talk about synesthesia, and, and that's okay. But I can offer to the listeners one question. What's their color of the A? <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have an answer to that. More than, than you can think of. More than I think. Yeah. But I think this, this episode showed that maybe you can get back your superpower by having a cat and doing meditation. Yeah, or just asking questions about... Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean he's right? <laughs> I don't like that conclusion at all. I... <laughs> But I think you can get, like, the thing is, like, you don't use the A blue concept very often. If you don't use something, like, it's not, like, it gets removed. Maybe you have colors for other things than alphabet, and you don't realize it's like the, the mapping just went somewhere else, but it's still there. Yeah, you know, I realized that I saw colors for letters when I was 13, not before. Because um, at some point, I don't remember exactly, but my mom asked me something about what the color of this thing, or I don't know, it was a discussion. And I, I answered, well, the color of A. <laughs> as, as, as a, a matter of fact. You know, a characterization of the color I had in mind. That's fun. And she just looked at me like, what? <laughs> That's a cute story. And, and we had this very weird conversation about okay not everybody have colors for letters and so when you are telling to someone the color of a people generally do not know what you are talking about <laughs> <laughs> and we went through several letters and i had very specific shade of colors for uh, each of them and i discovered that it was not normal that people do not have this kind of representation of letters and so after that So I was a uh, junior high school and I asked my friends and I discovered that I was the only one who had uh, colors for letters. But I discovered one of my friends who had what I uh, learned later, later to be um, 
facial synesthesia or something like that. She saw numbers, especially. So for her, I don't know which number, I do not have this kind of synesthesia, but maybe 10 was at a specific space and 11 was elsewhere. And so she had kind of spatial schema of numbers. That's a cool way to remember numbers. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but maybe so when you're a child and you're at school, you see letters and numbers all the time, but now you, you're a bit grown up. So maybe letters are less important in your life. And maybe the colors have moved down to being, I don't know, do you have a color for your thesis or your son? Or? Mm, no. <laughs> for concept, maybe? You just lost colors? No, no, I mean, I, I still have colors for foils, for example, but less for uh, consonants. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> that's so cute. So you lost resolution. <laughs> <laughs> but I gained, uh, actually, no, what, what's true is that I have more nuance for, okay, that's a French thing for diphthong. <laughs> so I have specific, very specific colors for diphthong. What's diphthong? It's when you have like two vowels kind of mashed together. The sound un, on, ou, this kind of sound. So the computing power that went to allocating colors to everything maybe moved to allocate colors more precisely to other things. Yeah, to complex one. But like what I think what's a bit weird uh, is that like it's only letters or sounds like it's not anything else. For example, right now you're working a lot in philo, like you, you read a lot of concepts. So I would have found it a normal evolution to put like I don't know like this framework is red this framework oh, is yes no it doesn't work sociology is green no no no, no, no it doesn't work it's not it's not a, an association with ideas at all I think it's really it's a it's a it's an association it's a visualization of language sound I think mm. wait do you have different colors if the same letter is pronounced in different ways um, like uh, uh, that you pronounce e or eh. uh, no because as i think it's it's connected to grapheme okay so so a single sign will have the same colors but it's interesting but but do you see that no no because you say it was linked to grapheme so like is it like you see the h when you see an h is red or like whatever purple yes but but i'm able to say that it's black on the paper so it's visualization yeah so it's not it's not hallucination but but you know in experiments in experiments it has been shown that we have like grapheme grapheme color synesthetes have an interference between the recognition of the synesthetic color and the color of the ink in which the, the letter is written on the paper. So for the Stroop test... Exactly. We have Stroop tests associated with grapheme color synesthesia. That's and so I'm fun. so bad at this kind of test. <laughs> like, it's so hard for me to do that. I think it's hard by default, but it must be hell for you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know the the test is changed. So the 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 system asks you before uh, to ch to to choose uh, the color for each of the letters mm. on which you will be tested. So the the associated color, and after that, it makes you produce a test on which the letter is either on the good color for you or on another color that does not match your good one. Okay. And you have to tell the good answer is the real color of the letter. And what they show is that 
if the letter is in your good color, the, your synesthetic color, you have a facilitation effect. Like you went so really quickly, uh, more quickly than people that are not synesthetic. And if your if the color that is shown is different from your synesthetic color, you have a you have a resistance. You you resist the answer, and you 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 are much more uh, slower than people in general to answer. It's interesting. They tr they measure this kind of things to to measure unconscious bias oh. in associating words. You've never heard about that? No. If you see the word, I don't know, doctor and the word man you react faster than if you see doctor and female for instance okay yes like interesting that. yeah and you can quantify that in a very in a rather unbiased way and it's very helpful to map people's biases and conceptual landscape yes that's very clever yeah i've heard uh, yeah. You, you can imagine that we have a lot of unconscious training unconscious bias trainings at work <laughs> yeah yeah of, of course there's a website with like 20 tests and you see like you can test how like racist homophobic you are which is a bit stressful when you take it because you're like okay <laughs> i hope i'm not yeah. racist and uh, the nice way is that it, ca it can test your unconscious and that's really nice yeah. and i guess if you have seen racist synesthesia <laughs> you, <laughs> you go even faster in some way <laughs> It's a nice way to probe the, the unconscious, but it's scary, yeah. Now that you say that, it proves a point, which is that our brain, our cognition is able to associate things based on nothing, based on very weak information or very weird information. And and so it's kind of... Could be arbitrary. Yeah, it's kind but. In a sense, it's kind of optimistic for uh, saying that we should be able to accept that part of what we consider as being obvious association, as being something that nature tells us that it's the way it is, are actually just weird association of our mind that are just consistent with the rest of our Um, poor theoretical model of nature and the world. Yeah, and it gives us hope that it might change and that in re responding to reality changes, brains will adapt in the future to change the mappings. And it could go both ways. I mean, yeah. you can have a totalitarian state that really changed the society, like the norm of society. And you, you, we, we saw in the 21st century how easy it was to dehumanize people and completely remove some mappings between some classes of the situ of the population yeah, okay, and what you say that we we, we are weak and it goes both ways <laughs> yeah 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 you're right Speaking about uh, brain plasticity, we had an interesting comment on Reddit. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, one of our listeners, Riley, left a comment on Reddit about how to learn new skills, let's say. So she was talking about how to learn to wink to, I don't know. Yeah, like basically comparing learning visualization to learning to wink, which I thought was very nice. Yeah, or like moving ears or moving like moving weird part of your body. The part I remember from my own life is learning how to whistle. Yes, that was the word I was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So at the start, like you're basically you can't do it, but like you force it, force it, force it, and then you become better and better and better until you actually can do it. And she didn't really see a difference between the two. But then she gave us a little exercise. <laughs> which was she gave you <laughs> well she gave me a little exercise which was to learn how to smell and to do that she was like take an apple really smell it 
and then all that smell. <laughs> Remove the apple and all that smell. Reading it, I thought it was really, really... Weird? <laughs> no, no, I thought it was a really cool experiment, and I thought it was... I don't know, like something click. I was, oh, holding a thing feels easier than imagining it. But then I tried and it was not <laughs> at all. I was just like smelling a lot of hair. Basically, I removed the apple and then like I continue smell like and like nothing happened. Basically, like the smell completely disappeared and the apple was not there. Okay. So that didn't work. Thanks, Rally, for wasting my time. Well, maybe you need to do it over and over again, like winking. Maybe I should try to... Well, I've tried three times and then I got bored with it because <laughs> there was no progress. <laughs> okay, let's do a follow-up to this follow-up to see if any listeners managed to get something out of that exercise. It's an interesting uh, interesting idea. The whole conversation is pretty nice. Check it out on Reddit. Switching the topic, I have, not from Reddit, but from Twitter, I have a message from uh, Dewik Twota who tells us uh, that, that he thinks that surely memory is pictorial to everyone, whereas other thoughts are abstract cognition and calculation. Like, I think it's more complicated than that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you can have... So, yeah, it goes back to something we discussed with Geraldine and that we're going to cue next about how memories are enqueued in the brain. So maybe let's cue the clip and react to it after. Okay. Complete tangent, uh, but do you have memory of your own thoughts? Can you actually remember a thought that you had like two years ago? Do you have that kind yes. of memory? Isn't that what Zetelkastan is for? <laughs> yes, I have that in in very weird way. Like sometimes I do that. It's a little game with myself sometimes, especially when I know that I have very stressful events in the future, like when I defended my PhD, for example. When I'm too stressed with this kind of uh, future events, I tell to myself, okay, at some point... This will be over and you will remember how you were stressed at this moment. And in the future, you will remember this moment uh, in which you are now thinking about the future in which this uh, stressful event will be over. I love it. That's so meta. <laughs> but then like, you can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to remember that yep. thought, which is, okay. but it doesn't prove at all that your brain in a non-conscious way of telling yourself, remember it, do that. Maybe it never does that without telling yourself you need to remember. I mean, it's able to do that. That's enough for me. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between the memory of a thought, the memory of an emotion, the memory of a dream? That's very, very hairy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, why was it interesting, the question you asked, I think, at this moment? It's because the question was, is it possible to remember something, an experience, and later on, based on the memory, being able to recognize it as being something, a new kind of thing. And I think that's possible. And that's why I, I don't like the first explanation we gave on what happened to you, because uh, I, I take another example with emotion. Maybe emotion is not the same thing than visualization, but we can say something like emotions are also experiences. And I'm able now to label some of the emotions I had in the past uh, during experiences in which I was not able to label the emotion I had. That's a good, uh, that's a good exa example. Is it? 
Is it? I mean, that's that's a very understandable example. <laughs> it, it puts a nice image to this concept. But I think that like you're not doing that though. What you're doing is like you're remembering as your past, like basically you're accessing a memory and what you're doing is recording the memory with your new skill. Might be a reinterpretation. Yeah, it doesn't mean at all that like you leave the moment with that experience at all. Like what you're doing is you're reinterpreting an experience that you had in the past with your new self. And I don't see why it's a problem. What I mean is like it's not at all showing that at that moment you live through that thing with that emotion. You live through that thing with an emotion and then what you're doing is you're interpreting that emotion as this new thing. Could mean what you're saying but it could also mean that it wasn't that at all. But now you're re-encoding that memory with that new emotion and like it's kind of completely a new thing. It doesn't say anything about the actual event and how you live through it at that moment. So what, what I'm saying here is like for the imagination stuff, I could remember, I could have a memory of me, I don't know, thinking about whatever, like a blue apple 10 years ago. And actually, like at that moment, I, I actually just imagined the concept of it. But now I can reinterpret it and say, no, 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 I visualize it. It doesn't mean that it happens. At all. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's more a question of how do the memories get stored and encoded and retrieved after. I think like the the consensus in that like, well, I don't know, no, no. <laughs> not saying the consensus, whatever. But, but what I'm saying is like therapy, like even cognitive therapy, psychoanalysis, and whatever, like all kind of speech therapy, is re-encoding old memory with your new self by like talking about it. It's like you talk about a memory, so you access it, and we know that memory are feebles, and that are re-encoded each time like you access them, and you re-encode them with like your new self. Okay, so if you if you start remembering your whole life, now you can re-encode everything as images, or it was concepts before. I think we <laughs> could, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible, I'm just uh, making a joke because it's funny. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, I, I think that's a kind of, that's clearly the, the kind of fundamental debates that philosophers have every time in, in philosophy of cognitive science, which is something like, if there's something more in consciousness than the final conceptual layer than you put in your experiences. And this will be at the basis of the whole discussion we have here. If there is something more than the conceptual interpretation of our experiences, then we can have, I mean, that's the way I see it in my mind, we can have a kind of mark sign of a brute data on which we can work, we can rework, we can re-encode an interpretation. And this will give us access to a kind of essence of experience. Or maybe we do not have that. Maybe the only thing we have in our mind, the memory in the memory, is the, the concept of interpretation of our experiences. Okay, I think we need to elify it. I think it might be a bit too complex. <laughs> I think I can take a shot at it. So what she was saying is either what you're feeling, like your state, is only one thing that cannot be broken into smaller parts. And then it means that in your memory, it has to be this one thing. So when you look back, you see the same thing. And if you look back and you say, oh, it, it was visualization all along, then it has to be visualization all along. Or maybe the thing you're feeling, your, your emotion or whatever, has smaller components. Like it's a, a lot of little things building up a big emotion. And then what you could store these little blocks 
and then it leaves it open for reinterpretation when you retrieve them. Okay. In which case, we cannot really conclude anything from that because you don't know what you felt back then. You only know what blocks are in your memory. That's very funny because it's absolutely not what I said, but it's so much better. It, it's what, like, it's the, like, did I understand the, what you were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, that's nice illustration of the fact that the whole story was something I had in mind, that I visualized in my mind as a, a kind of a scheme, conceptual scheme. And the way you explain it was absolutely not the way... It, it doesn't work like that in my mind. But it seemed to be a better framing of the whole discussion. It stems from the same idea. I hope I did justice to you. But that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I can't wait for the day where we can exchange conceptual maps instead of language. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions about that. But that's a story for another episode, probably. <laughs> Obviously, there's more to say, and there's another clip coming right up about it. Uh, but I think this Twitter comment, we could talk a lot about it, but we won't. <laughs> we'll keep it short. But, uh, to sum up, it all, it's all a question of how memories are encoded in the brain. Yep. Right. And we don't know that yet. Though it does seem like you could make experiments to to come up with it. One such experiment is the, the idea you told me about, about songs. Yeah, so a Reddit post from another guy like that has nothing to do with the podcast was saying that when you remember a song from when you were a kid and then like you sing it when you're an adult and you see that it's full of sexual innuendo. So it's encoded, like the world are encoded, but you never sing that it has sexual innuendo before actually singing it. And so you encode it while you're... It's especially strong when it's in foreign language. For French people, I remember all the songs we used to listen to as kids. It was very sexual and... It shocked me quite a bit when I realized what the content actually were. But some of the songs, yeah, I remember the lyrics roughly. So it means you remember the letters in a way, but not the meaning. That's interesting. But like to come back to the actual like first tweet, I think like some really easy example of like why I don't think it's true is when you remember how to go somewhere. So like it's a memory, like you have the memory of how to go to your place, for example, but you don't need any visual cue. You don't need anything except just you can go there basically. So like you could call that a memory in, of some sort. You can have abstract memories. <laughs> <laughs> or you have like all all the knowledge that you have. So for example, I don't know, like when is I know the French Revolution, for example, you remember the date, which has nothing to do with visual memory. And it's not pictorial, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I think he was talking about memory, memory. Yeah, the, the memory you've lived through. Yeah. Okay, which is a good segue for the next comment I have, a comment from uh, Ayaris, our dear long-time listeners, who first of all wanted to congratulate you for the pun that I'm sure you didn't mean to make. But when you said you get the perfect image of your cat, you said the perfect image of your oh, cat. Oh, that is cute. <laughs> Amazing. We, we will retroactively edit the episode to make that pun. No. We no. won't. We will be too lazy. But, but this is such a great, uh, great point. And so he was telling me in a private conversation, so emails... Yeah, we have all the platforms today, like Twitter, Reddit, email. Wow. Uh, that, uh, so he was telling me that all these visualization, like all this uh, imagination stuff, ultimately comes from experience. Like you never imagine something you haven't encountered before in a way. And maybe you, you tweak it or whatever. But I think 
it's a very good point and it's uh, very fitting because we discussed this exact point with Geraldine uh, back in the past. Yeah, can I just add something that just came to my mind because I'm working on Thomas Hobbes for the moment. So I don't know if you know him. He's a, a famous political dude. dude. <laughs> yes, that's a nice way to <laughs> talk about him. But he has a, a very interesting way of thinking about human nature and anthropology. So it was during the 17th century. but And he had this view that memory and imagination is the same thing. It's just two ways of thinking about the same thing. It's just that memories are... Because it's an empiricist, so he's the kind of people who think that no ideas exist in the mind if they are not built from something we perceive at the first time. And so in this kind of framework, memories and imagination are made of the same stuff. That makes a lot of sense to me because I've never imagined something that was in some way connected in reality. <laughs> yes. But I can't remember the article, but the thought experiment was you can imagine a square circle. Ah, that's a very good example because you can imagine it as a concept, but not visually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but don't you have... Well, I never tried with my new scare. <laughs> but... Okay, try it now. I want to see your face. <laughs> try to vocalize it for the listeners. But like, isn't... The... You can think of the concept for sure, but there's still... It feels... Actually feels... It feels feels like there's a bit of a visualization component when you try. Like, let's all try. Well, because square and circle are both mm. two very visual terms. <laughs> so you're just saying, like, it starts a visualization process where you see just a square and a circle and then, like, you put a concept on it? Yeah, yeah it, it gets building blocks. For it It wakes up your visualization process. It says loads of square, loads of circle, and merge them, and then it blocks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Something like that, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's like imagining capitalism working. I mean, I'm able to like imagine it kind of, but it doesn't make sense. That like you should change human then. It kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> then it's a square. But if you change circle, <laughs> it works. <laughs> uh, if you <laughs> okay, but like it, to go back to Hobbes, like how uh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> to go back to Hobbes, what? <laughs> no, because, because like I don't understand. Like what what like what you were saying or like what he's saying is basically you can't imagine stuff that you don't have a memory of. Yes. But, I mean, it's a bit more subtle than that because you can break down a complex thing that you see and you have also the ability to abstract things. Uh, so you, you have the ability to see general properties on, on specific things. So, for example, you'll see a, a, a ball and you will abstract the notion of a circle from this perception. But the atomic building blocks are always created from a memory, from experience. Yes, Exactly. Can always be traced down to experiences. Yeah, yeah that's it. But with this uh, subtlety of being able to extrapolate from it, so it becomes very complicated. Yeah, well, okay. We just have to find someone who's never had any experience and no memory and ask them if they can imagine things. <laughs> yeah. Good experiment. Though I don't know how we can ask them. We just need a counterfactual Earth. <laughs> exactly. If we had counterfactual Earth, we could do a lot of things. Damn it. I always tell that to myself in the morning. That, that's my biggest regret in life, you know, on my deathbed. <laughs> my regret is the lack of counterfactual Earth. 
This was a nice point about hubs. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty nice point. Okay, our last well, last <laughs> our last follow-up point that we wanted to discuss is that you were quite well. You were a little bit unhappy with the conclusion last time when we recorded. Yes. And uh, editing, I thought, yeah, it's it's a bit fair. So I wanted to come back a little bit to that because I mean, so the last episode ends in a joke note about what can you do to train your your brain to give you new abilities but we also back in last episode and in this episode we also develop kind of like a framework yeah a framework that we use to analyze your experience but as a penance to the the last conclusion let's recap a little bit the framework that we've developed so we discussed last time a lot about unlocking a new ability versus expanding an existing ability especially with like metacognitive process is it a new process or is it awareness of a process that existed right now and Last time we talked a lot about memory versus imagination and their differences. And uh, during the recording, the bits we cut, uh, we also talked a lot about blurriness versus indetermination, which is do you gain more resolution or do you get new kind of stuff altogether? So let's cue that clip. But you, you said something... The, the way you phrase it is, okay, at that moment, I really see clearly my cat. Yeah. And you said it several times and you used the term really, really see. Compared to, I suppose, before I was thinking I was seeing something or visualizing something, but I was not actually. And at the same time, you did not say something like, oh, I hallucinated. <laughs> So you did not have any hallucination. Not yet unlocked that shit. You, you was aware with the fact that your cat was not in your bed at this moment. Yeah. So um, For sure. it makes me think that you're able to identify clearly that your experience was something. I come back to something I did. I said before was something between. On the one hand, it's not hallucination. It's not real vision. And on the second hand, it's not only conceptual imagination. So it's not just conceptualizing your cat it's not just thinking about your cat yeah and i was wondering can you try to characterize more this experience in middle like what what why did you say really see because like for when i say see like there's there's a quality that wasn't there before and the quality is i can i it's very detailed i think like the yeah Meaning, like, I could see each strands of air. Like, it was not blurry at all. Like, I think before, I could visualize, but it was always so blurry. But, like, blurry in the sense of, yeah, of the sense of, like, not seeing it at all, actually. It just, was like... Was it a kind of undetermination? Underdetermination? What do you mean by that? You know, when you can see... If I, if I tell you, okay, imagine a red thing. Yeah. I, I don't know, like a red apple. And I show you, to, so you have the image in your mind. You have it? I have it. Okay. Impressive. Um, and now I show you a picture of a red apple. And I guess you will be able to say if the color of the picture I show you is the same or not. Yes, let's try it. Right. Yeah, not the same color. Not the same color. Okay, that's very interesting because it means that when you imagine red thing, you do not actually imagine a red thing. You imagine a very precise shape of red 
thing. Yeah, that was yeah. Ex- okay, okay. I see. I think you. Are, I think that's it. I think like I was not doing okay. that before. Like basically, like exactly that. I can say before I couldn't say if it was the same. So I still can't imagine face. Okay. So I can think of my mother, for example, not able to see her face at all. So like, if you give me a picture and saying like, does she have the same expression? I can't answer that. Like, I can't say yes, I can't say no. She has no expression because I can't see her. I see. And now that you are saying that, I can say that I'm not able to imagine everything. You're right that if I uh, try to imagine, I don't know, yeah, my mom, my mom, the face of my mom, my mom's face. I cannot imagine her as well as I imagine a red apple. I can imagine stuff about her, but I do not visualize her in a way that is as determined as a red apple. Yes. Is it still visualization though? (laughs) Visualization is a spectrum. I don't know. Yeah, but like, is it in the spectrum? Hmm. Or is it something else? I think you're being very discriminatory towards the people who have bad eyesight. Yeah, but I have problems seeing far away. But I do not I do not see in an undetermined way. I just see blurrily. So I do not see some details. <laughs> but I never see in stuff in general terms. You see? I, I, I do not see something. Okay, I know that it's colored, but I don't know the color of it. It never happens. And that's why the word blurry wasn't the right word when I would use it before. All the debate that we have stem from this. Before that, in my dreams, in my thoughts, etc., did I visualize stuff, still visualize stuff, but like in a blurry way? Or did I do something else, another process that is just a non-determined way of... Yeah. Did you unlock more resolution or uh, yeah. jump yeah. in determination? Um, kind yeah. Of? Can I say something about the the way you you phrase it? Like you said something, did I unlock more resolution? And I think that the idea of thinking of it as more resolution is, I I think now I'm convinced that it's deeply wrong to think of it as a new resolution because a a specific shade of red compared to red, the general term red, it's not a better resolution. It's, yeah, exactly. The relation is something different. It's, I don't know how to express it, actually. You can see how it could be hard because it's both uh, giving more precise information about something that's loosely defined. But in a way, the thing is defined beforehand and you're bringing more detailed information. And in the other way, the thing is not loosely defined, but defined as a set of possibilities and you're picking from it. Yes. Maybe an infinite set of possibilities, Ian. I had an idea. <laughs> like, okay, so what we're saying is like, okay, unlock blah, 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 blah. We are talking about... Yeah, okay, okay, okay. But like, what's interesting is, so like, it, it has a link. <laughs> it's just like a bit, you need to give me a bit of time. So, what is very weird is we are all human, are expert, expert at recognizing other human beings' face. Like, more so than recognizing any other thing. Pretty much like it's face are one of the most frequent stimuli that we see and like a very important one. So like we are very good at recognizing face. I'm not very good at recognizing car. I don't see cars like whatever. Like I I see cars, but like I don't put any attention to cars. Like I don't like cars. I don't care about cars. I don't care about cars. I I can still. I like this sentence. I mean, that's the only reasonable way to live. But I can visualize them. Like right now, if you say like visualize a red car, I can. (laughs) I bet it's going to be like a weird car that doesn't exist though. You're not going to actually visualize a red car the same way that someone who cares about cars can visualize a car. But but like 
Is it? No, 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 no. Exactly. That's exactly my point. What I find interesting is I'm an expert at recognizing face because I see face every day, but I can't visualize them. I'm no expert in car, but I can still visualize them. So does that, doesn't that show that it's not, it's more loosely linked than we think to actual visualization than we saw before? I should be able to visualize face if it was the same thing as recognizing. Oh, you mean that proves that recognition... Uh, doesn't like... that show something? I don't know what it shows. I mean, <laughs> if you can have super good recognition and super bad... Yeah, if you can have super good recognition and super bad remembrance, it proves that recognition and remembrance are different things like memory and imagination but then it has nothing to do with what we were saying okay I thought I was going somewhere with this but apparently not no you just proved that Hobbes was wrong yes no he was right I think Vlad is wrong. <laughs> well, the problem is like it's my experience. No, it, it's it, the thing is it's not that simple probably you <laughs> proved that the situation is complicated um, Can you imagine a face, a blurry face? <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good experience. Let's all try this. Can we imagine a blurry face? And is it very different than like a non-determinized face? <laughs> <laughs> is it very different than a car? <laughs> like, can you imagine your blurry mother? Oh, you mean a blurry someone, a blurry specific face versus an undeterministic face? Yes. Und undetermined, not undeterministic. Okay, that's so weird because I'm trying to imagine a face and then putting a Yes, a I, I do the same. I do the same. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, so that's the kind of, I think that's a kind of bias. You know, this bias of um, the, the, the experiment that people did to know whether we dream in color or in black and in black and white i had that in my notes but i don't know much about this experiment actually okay i don't know much either i don't know the exact reference of it but uh, what i remember is that some scientists interviewed people at some point i don't know probably in the 70s to know whether they dream in colors or in black and white and they had very clear uh, results that people were dreaming in black and white. And so at some point, the scientific consensus was that we were dreaming in black and white. And 20 years later, in the 90s probably, they redo experiments about this question. And they did not find the same results. So they f found that people were uh, dreaming in colors. And so what they hypothesis was that uh, people were biased by television and the fact that but so there's a twist in the methodology no that were that were really the the hypothesis that actually people were uh, biased in their uh, narration of what they experienced during dreaming okay so do you think that the new generation will dream in like five seconds <laughs> Like TikTok. Uh, what she's saying is that the study was wrong because of methodology issues. So. <laughs> no, yeah, yes, also. But wh why, why did I um, thought about that? It's because you said, Vlad, that uh, when you were trying to think about blurry face, you were doing it in a two-steps process, which was, okay, think first of a face and then apply and then blur it. <laughs> um, a kind of a screen of um, a blurry screen. And what was uh, interesting is that I exactly did the same. So <laughs> it's probably something that, because just I can think of an app who just blur stuff 
and it will be how it does it. What I'm really wondering now is if in, an, in another language where it doesn't go like blurry face, would you still think the same way? Probably not. <laughs> It's because you think blurry is an adjective that qualifies face and then you have a grammatical relationship that conditions your, mm. your conceptualization of it. So if you have one word for blurry face, it wouldn't be the same? Well, I don't know, but clearly blurry face is a face that is blurry, right? So if you had a grammar based on blurriness first and then face, you might conceptualize it differently. <laughs> I don't know where all of mm. this is going. Yes, <laughs> me neither. I tried to find an example, but I don't find any. Uh, I don't know many languages. I think in Japanese you could do that, but like... It's pretty weird. <laughs> you can say, oh, speaking of blurriness, can you think of a face? <laughs> But no, not very idiomatic, is it? Speaking of blurriness. So with this this framework in mind, we define your experience. We the, so the, the I, I remember the thing you were unhappy about was that our conclusion of what to do to expand on your brain abilities did not do justice to this framework because we came up with conclusions about how to tell if you're on one end or the other of the spectrum and yeah, hopefully this does it better justice. Yeah, that was I, I think the best part of like the episode the blurriness and determination <laughs> and i think what we say with geraldine is that it's not about blurriness it's about determination in your case i think if you see blurry i think you already can imagine it's just that yeah maybe you just need train that but not train the accessibility of the skill yeah so i think this conclusion right now does better justice to all these little tests and mechanics that we talked about yep. to see where you are on the framework. I hope you're more satisfied. <laughs> Does that is... Uh... I really am. Okay. I really like this difference. But I, I like that since we have two episodes that are kind of about it, we can have one that is the conclusion about the actionable way of how to train your brain and the other one is the analytical way of how to position your experience on the framework. Anyway, do you have anything more to say? <laughs> Not really. Cool. I think we did a good job. <laughs> I think we did a good job. This is probably going to be one of our longest conversation episodes, but it's because we had an amazing guest. So thanks, Geraldine, thanks, again. Geraldine. She's not here right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Geraldine, for coming. It was an amazing experience. Hope we'll have her again. Yes, me too. On the show. And on top of having amazing guests, we also had... A lot of amazing comments on the social network that helped us do this conversation episode. So if you want to be part of the conversation, go to Reddit, Twitter, YouTube. This episode was not uh, like we didn't get anything from YouTube <gasps> uh, and email and whatever. Not daily podcasts without spaces. And we'll see you next time for a big topic. A new one. This a time. new one. Yeah. <laughs> a real new episode, not, not a follow up. Yep. Okay. Bye. See you. See you not, not tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I wish people could see my tears. <laughs>